podcast. My name is Jack McIntyre. And my name is Adrian Pope. And we've got a good podcast today. We're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. Uh, I believe everybody loves a good conspiracy theory. It's a good way to uh, really get to know somebody, like on a first date, bring up your conspiracy <laughs> theories and uh, ask them theirs. Uh, but I guess uh, let's start off. Adrian, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Well, I think right off the bat, the first one is uh, aliens um, and alien abductions. So uh, <laughs> something I've been fond of, even as a kid, I used to go to the public library and just read books about alien abductions and stuff, which is probably kind of strange for a kid to read about. Uh, but I love no, it. No, I like, totally understand. Yeah. Uh, I did the <laughs> I've same been thing. fascinated. Yeah, I rented every book in the library about cryptozoology, UFO uh, abductions, and... Um, some of the conspiracy... I never really got into conspiracy theories that weren't, like, I guess, animal or extraterrestrial. I never really cared for, like, the JFK assassination or, um, you know, some of the more, I guess, political conspiracy theories, like New World Order, George Soros, that stuff. But uh, cr- cryptozoology <laughs> has always held my interest. Um, so you think aliens are uh, quite a bit likely? Well, I don't... it's so it's kind of a silly thing right the idea that aliens are coming down and abducting people and especially if you go back to the 50s 60s 70s all the ufo cases of people you know coming in to the police saying they were abducted that they'd been like uh, anally probed by the aliens and (laughs) and stuff i mean it's so kind of laughable on the the face of it uh i know there's a lot of like mental illness with uh, a lot of people who claim they're abducted by aliens uh, surely there's probably some involvement with drugs for some of them, especially given the time period. Um, right. But it is kind of fun to think about. And, like, I don't think of it as so much like the aliens are directly involved. I mean, it's not like the aliens are implanting lizard people to, you know, become our elected leaders and the, the elite in every country around the world. But, I mean, it's interesting to think about the idea... Like those new UFO sightings uh, videos that the, the Navy released from those fighter jet uh, footage is really kind of interesting. And I think it's really interesting to me because uh, on the face of it, you kind of look at things like DARPA, who, you know, the government agency that is specifically designed to work on advanced technology and try to get, you know, the DOD and the country like 25 years ahead of where we are now or where we are publicly, at least. Um, so to think about what they could be working on right now is interesting, but then you take a video like they released from like, uh, the early two thousands and it's hard to imagine, well, you know, we're relatively close to 25 years after that point and we don't seem to have any technology even close to what we saw in those videos, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Cause, uh, the Navy even in, <laughs> it's weird that the Navy would do that. You're always kind of hearing about, like, the kind of mystery and the intrigue and, like, the we won't comment, blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of interesting that the Navy would admit, yeah, we don't really know what that was. Um, On the other hand, um, with, like, uh, I don't know, with aliens, it's always interesting because, I mean, you you look at the the mathematics and obviously – uh, statistically, if life happens, the to mathematics. Earth, yeah. <laughs> if we look at the mathematics, you talking yeah. about like the probability of yeah, life? Yeah, just the probability. Yeah. I mean, if the planet that we're on here develops some higher uh, functioning life, and you know, we've escaped Earth, we've gone to m- other moons and stuff. Now we'll go to other planets before too long. It's kind of inevitable that we'll, if, if it's a hundred years or a thousand years, that we'll be a, a space-faring kind of uh, civilization. Uh, or, I guess, species on Earth. But just statistically, there's probably life form elsewhere. 
it, it would be a giant fluke if Earth was the only planet that had intelligent life forms that create that you know that had some kind of I guess consciousness or brain power to be able to start manipulating the environment around them uh, and basically building like a civilization. Um, so I'm, you know, I believe that there's probably life forms elsewhere, especially because there's theories that life came to Earth from a comet from somewhere else. Else, sorry. <laughs> um, from but, someone else. <laughs> yeah, but the idea that uh, there's no life out there and that we're like God's Goldilocks planet, the only, you know, if you want to take a creationist kind of approach to it, I, I think that's mathematically unlikely. Um, and I do like that some people say that, uh, you know, like, why would, hu why would aliens come uh, visit humans and watch us? Like, wouldn't they want to invade us right away? Or why would they come here at all? And uh, I think of it in terms of humans, like if, if we discovered life on Mars or something, like little slugs or something, we would totally want to just observe them. And then there would be all these ethical qualms about what do we do yeah. about it? Can we, can we affect it? I'm, I, I don't think well, we have people who sit around all day looking at ants. And then right. we have hobbyists who literally take ants and then make videos of them making their little ant holes in yeah. like plastic containers. So yeah, there's no doubt that we would be fascinated and then spend a lot of time directly investigating, researching, and, and at least observing this alien species on another planet. Um, another thing I would say is if their kind of society is anything like ours, then it's totally believable that you'd have like angsty teenage aliens coming to Earth to fuck with us just because they thought it was funny. Now, you know, that's mm -hmm. a really anthropomorphizing of, you know, aliens who hypothetically could be nothing like us. But it, it certainly is believable to me that, you know, if it turned out people were being abducted and anally probed by aliens, it would just be like, you know, tr like, I don't know, juvenile delinquents, you know, just messing around <laughs> yeah. in their spaceships. See, with the anal probes, <laughs> I just feel like if you have the technology to come to Earth and monitor us without us knowing... I don't think you have to do anal probes. I think technology might be a little easier, smaller, <laughs> less invasive to monitor us than an anal probe. <laughs> that always cracks me up. The funny thing, too, is like the fact that they always put people back. Like all those stories, they're abducted yeah. through their window and then put gently back in their bed. Right. It's like, and if an alien just took you, for all intents and purposes, if no one believed in aliens, there'd be no reason to ever bring you back. People would just be curious where you went all that time. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do. I think this is kind of interesting, too, because Joe Rogan said this in many of his podcasts about, like, conspiracy theories and stuff. Because he did a show where he went and, actu uh, like, actively investigated all kinds of conspiracy theories. And he used to be kind of a conspiracy nut. He admits this well, he and still talks is. about He's it a lot. He is to some degree, but he used to be way worse. But he said that doing that show actually kind of turned him away from all that. And that like actually going and talking to all of these people who believe in the conspiracies is kind of what convinced him that most of them are bullshit. Uh, just kind of an interesting idea from somebody who is, you know, Joe Rogan's not the most educated person. Uh, he is kind of susceptible to like conspiracies, but even he... Uh, doesn't you know some of them are too far for even him to believe especially going and talking to the people that are all about it well yeah and it, it's kind of crazy too if you think about it um, especially in terms of our technology especially what we had in the 50s so I remember reading this thing about how we one of the, the first times we accidentally thought we should maybe nuke the Soviet Union by accident was I think in 1957 either way it was the late 50s but 
they basically just built and turned on a brand new state-of-the-art radar system in, uh, in Greenland. And it was pointed over the horizon towards where nukes from Russia would come. And when they turned it on, uh, they basically thought they saw, you know, a couple days later or weeks later, they had it on and they thought they saw blips of like dozens of nukes coming over the horizon from Russia. And what, what's kind of interesting is they, they, the reason they didn't shoot back is simply because one of the guys at that base remembered that the Soviet leader was in New York City that weekend. Or, or those days, and then he thought to himself, why on earth would they nuke America in a first strike if their leadership was here in America visiting New York City? Um, so they didn't shoot back, and then they realized that the computer uh, behind the radar was basically, it wasn't malfunctioning, but it had messed up some digits or something, and what they were actually seeing was the moon coming over the horizon. So yeah. I only bring this story up because, first off, it's kind of interesting to hear about. But then, second off, because if that's a technology we had in the 50s where we could see stuff from outer space coming here. And then you talk about like what the Air Force does today for the International Space Station, which they monitor every object bigger than like a fraction of an inch in space around Earth. Uh, so that nothing hits any of our GPS or communications, satellites, or the International Space Station. So the idea that today, or even in the 90s or 80s or 70s, we didn't know or we wouldn't have known if alien ships were coming from outer space is a little ludicrous. Uh, I think they'd almost certainly see it on radar. Uh, and then, you know, for most times when, when things violate your airspace, you, you typically send something up there to go check it out, uh, which is what countries still do today. Like, for example, when China, America or Russia kind of send like bombers or fighter jets relatively near or through or right up to the other country's airspace, they almost always sortie another fighter jet to go tail it and then follow it to make sure they don't, you know, go in our airspace. So, I mean, that that right there kind of to me shows that it's probably likely that not much has been coming in and out of our atmosphere, at least since like the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know. Yeah, but of course, that's what the lizard uh, reptilian overlords want you to believe. So there's True, that. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. And then uh, continuing with the cryptid, uh, cryptozoology uh, love that we both share. What do you think about Bigfoot? Do you think Bigfoot's possible? Well, I think, I mean, there are multiple cases. Uh, like, you, I haven't watched the, the full documentary of the Joe Exotic and uh, what, what's it called? Tiger King or whatever. Um, uh, I've only seen yeah. bits and pieces. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but, you know, the idea that you have all these people with their private zoos and they're really expensive to feed these big animals. And then there's other stories, too, even in the, the more distant past, like in the, the late 1800s, I believe England had the same problem where tons of people had their own little zoos and, and very exotic animals uh, in zoos. And then England made it illegal for anywhere in the country to have certain animals. So these people just literally released the animals in the countryside. So yeah. for a couple of years, they had problems in England where there were literally lions like roaming the British countryside before they all eventually died off or were shot by farmers and stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe uh, some of these cases of cryptid animals seen in the wild are just exotic animals that have been put in a zoo somewhere and either like escaped somehow or maybe were released because they were too expensive or maybe became illegal in that state and rather than take care of them properly they just threw them out of their property uh so i mean what do you think about that does that help explain some of it 
Uh, definitely. Um, there was that in- instance in, I believe, Mexico, right? The chupacabra that basically they think now that uh, maybe it was just a Tasmanian devil that had been uh, brought to uh, right, yeah. to North America for like a zoo or something. And like the sh- I don't mm-hmm. remember what happened, but they got out and released. And so all these reports of a chupacabra and these, this kind of like mythological um, making was basically just a freed Tasmanian devil going around and eating some livestock. And uh, when obviously like the farmers out there you didn't know that it had been released and that had never seen anything like a Tasmanian devil uh, eating sheep or whatever uh, before. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, and you could probably say the same thing even for Bigfoot. Like, what if in the Pacific Northwest there was, like, a released gorilla running around somewhere? Or maybe two or something. Right, um, yeah. I mean, some, some of the cryptids are really hard to believe in because so many of the famous pictures of them were all, uh, you know... Uh, people on their deathbed or even before they died admitted that they were fakes and hoaxes and yeah, that they purposely right. made those photos just to, you know, see what they could get people to believe yeah. or just to scare people <laughs> right. or just because they thought it was funny. Even crop circles. When crop circles first started coming out and being a thing, um, like there, were, there was a group of people that all admitted, oh yeah, we started that whole craze. We went out. I think they were just like trying to fuck with some uh, farmer or something. I don't remember if the farmer pissed them off or whatever, but they went in and made all these crop circles in uh, in his fields and whatever. And literally, you know, then you get copycats, but just these people admitted, yeah, we were the first ones to start doing that. And then it just kind of became a craze that kind of continued Yeah, and it's, it's funny because like people say, well, they couldn't have done it in one night. And then I remember watching this show on, on History Channel because History Channel is all about aliens now. Um, where it showed these guys literally with like a couple sets of ropes literally made a perfect crop circle in like eight minutes or something like that. Like a comically small amount of time. Right. Uh, And they were even able to make like more complicated ones uh, just by changing the configuration of the ropes and stuff or how they Mm -hmm. moved. And like, so a lot of that's just so easy. Plus it makes no sense anyway. Like think of, like a fighter jet today doesn't need crop circles to communicate with other fighter jets. You know what I mean? With yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about aliens that can go across, you know, the galaxy or even across the universe, uh, the idea that they need to communicate via some kind of symbol put in the ground or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the pyramids. <laughs> a, I find it yeah. ludicrous that these aliens that came from some other galaxy or whatever, or from like you know, mil- like light years and light years away, but they need a giant pile of rocks and three pyramids to get around and find their way around Earth. Like that's kind of a ludicrous idea. But there's a lot of people who then you know say, <laughs> oh, it had the pyramids had to be aliens. There's no way the pyramids could have gotten there from like humans even though well the pyramids we figured out ways to make pyramids and giant buildings like that the pyramids are funny especially when people say oh the pyramids in egypt had to be designed by aliens when like every major cultural center in the ancient world uh had pyramids for example there were places in uh, mesoamerica that had bigger pyramids than the one at giza um and they had been built maybe even you know, before the pyramids in, in, in Egypt. So uh, the idea that That's it cool. had to be aliens is ludicrous when other cultures around the, the the world independently made their own pyramids for various different reasons. Yeah, and real quick, I also, I, I've always hated when people say that it had to be aliens because how could prehistoric uh, civilizations get across the ocean and spread the idea of giant pyramids? 
But that's mm-hmm. so stupid. Like pyramids, like kids will play with blocks and build shit. Like it's just and make you, a pyramid. Yeah, yeah, you just you just put <laughs> a lot of stuff on top of each other, and uh, you try to make it really high. Like why do you need aliens to transmit that idea across an ocean? You know, every every child everywhere does that. Hey, here we're piling up a bunch of stuff. Let's see if we can make it really high. And then you start getting these empires, and obviously they have money and endless slave labor, so they can make things even higher. You know, it's just all the giant. Yeah. I hate that idea that like these very the same thing with the flood story. A lot of people think like the Bible has to be accurate because every major civilization has a flood story uh, or uh-huh. a flood origin story, and it's the same thing. It's so stupid. Where did every civilization start? Around a source of water. What happens to water and rivers and stuff? <laughs> they flood. So yeah, every prehistoric goat herding like farming. Um, hunting and gathering culture is going to have some story about a flood because their entire you know civilization started and groupings of people and culture all formed around a settled like city or town or nation state or whatever you know however big but it all centers around a giant um, body of water like the Nile River with the Egyptians or Sumer and Mesopotamia with the Tigris and Euphrates or the Yellow mm-hmm. River uh uh, the Amazon in South America, like every culture starts around a body of water, a fresh water, which is a river. So, I mean, it's just ludicrous to think that, oh, the Bible has to be accurate about Noah and the flood because every culture has a flood story. It's like every culture has a fire story. Did the Bible mention anything about a giant fire killing everybody? No, but I mean, how well, many they cultures- also have, They also have different creation theories, too, which are all, you know, very different from each other and and in different degrees of, you know, implausibility, especially in the, you know, the present day with our modern right. understanding of biology and evolution. And it, But it's all just based on natural phenomenon from these, like, ancient peoples that didn't really understand anything about science or nature or the world or chemicals or germs. You know, they, they're very ignorant and they're coming up with stories to explain things they can't fathom. Obviously, all of their stories and uh, kind of mythology and folklore is going to be based off of the natural phenomenon that they cannot explain yet governs their life and, you know, creates famines or riches or power or uh, mass death, you know? Well, yeah. And, and <laughs> I mean, just to go back to the pyramid thing, too, and the, the epic building that some ancient peoples had, I just finished this book about Native Americans and Mesoamerica. So like the Aztecs and what came before them, like the Olmecs and then the Inca and the different civilizations before them. And the the Inca were really kind of unique in that they had a very centralized government um, where everybody kind of owed service and time basically to the government to do whatever they were told to do. And for the Inca, this was really useful for just keeping people busy. And some of the stories literally talk about how the Incan leaders wouldn't actually have that much to do, so they'd put people on ridiculous tasks just to keep them busy for that certain uh, part of the, <laughs> yeah. the year, uh, which is really good to make sure they don't revolt. But it talked about them making like multiple mile long irrigation rivers that like never had any chance of really being a river because it didn't really go to a water source. They were just having people dig. And there's another funny story where they were talking about how they like some of the I think the uh, uh, some of the pyramids and, and certainly some of the big mounds they made literally was just having tens of thousands of people dig holes and move the dirt and make a mound just for their you know x amount of time of service and it was just to keep them busy basically so that's, that's kind of funny is like 
And that and, and this is like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So the idea that people can't make this monumental structure is, is kind of ludicrous when you literally had a government doing it just because they wanted to keep the people a little busier than they otherwise would have been. Yeah, I am definitely looking forward to more stuff coming about the about the Incans because the Incans were such an elaborate and kind of a. Uh, oh, what questions do you have? Because I just learned a lot about them in that book. Ask away. Well, I, I mean, was the, I don't necessarily have a question, but I was I mean I guess I don't know much about Incans, but I know enough to know that they were like actually really groundbreaking. But it would be I'm intrigued to know like in the future. Uh, how many more Incan discoveries and great cities underneath forests and kind of buried uh, by time that we'll discover? Because the Incans, I mean, everything you read about the Incans are just that uh, they were kind of like the most advanced civilization in the world, weren't they? Well, a lot of the, so you had the Aztecs, which actually the Aztec is kind of a, a misnomer, the name Aztec. So um, the Aztec uh, civilization was actually, uh, they called themselves like the Triple Alliance, and it was three different tribes uh, that had all allied together. And there really wasn't a thing as Aztecs, according to this book, uh, 1491, uh, you know, entitled that because it's about the history before Columbus uh, landed. Mm -hmm. So the Aztec civilization wasn't the Aztec civilization. Um, they randomly got that name from the Spanish afterwards, and it was actually three different peoples who had different cultures and uh, the one we think of as the Aztecs was just the most dominant one, but they really shared the, their empire with two other, basically, you know, civilizations that they were allied with. Um, but then going back to your thing about the... Uh, oh, well, well, what I was just going to say is that uh, a lot of the Aztec, you know, I'm using the Aztec wrongly now, even though I know, but just for people listening. So the Aztec and the Inca had multiple cities that were far more affluent and had like running water and better irrigation systems and, and more importantly more way more people than any cities in Europe in like the 800s 900s 1000 1100 AD uh, and the Inca were pretty much still in their prime when the Spanish came um, so who knows what might have happened um, the Inca actually had a, a really fascinating civilization where uh, they basically eliminated any poverty in their empire they actually had so, uh, such a centralized government that was able to take care of so much. They just had warehouses full of food and things like clothing and anything. Like people would literally just walk up to the warehouse, ask for stuff, and the government officials would give it to them. And when the Spaniards kind of toppled the empire in their records, when they were going through the Incan lands at first, they, they some of the earliest people writing about them, you know, the Spanish obviously said that they had done something almost unheard of in Europe and shocking to their their kind of uh, you know racist beliefs about the Native Americans but they were surprised that the Inca apparently to their eyes completely eliminated poverty need and want and that everybody had exactly what they needed whenever they wanted it which is kind of impressive uh, and then of course they stumbled across cities like Tenochtitlan and various Incan cities that had you know over a hundred thousand people probably um, which is kind of fascinating to think about when cities like London and Paris were, you know, constantly, you know, they might have only had, you know, several tens of thousands, which were constantly being, you know, cut down by plague and things like cholera and, and different uh, diseases and stuff, which is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think of aliens were here monitoring this and could actually like see and 
it would be interesting if like aliens had records of all of our stuff or something like let's just say i mean this is pretty wild but like if we meet up with aliens and they're just like hey you want to know all these facts that we've just recorded about you with our superior like monitoring and technology and we could like it'd be interesting to just find out uh like all these things of past peoples you know if there had been some kind of like record of humans like you know we oh in every civilization yeah like records like we would keep if we were monitoring some other alien race that we discovered or something like you know there would be like anthropologists just the same as like they're trying to like monitor and figure out everything about humans there would be scientists and random you know amateurs interested in just recording everything they could about an obscure alien life form we found or something like that you know um, well, yeah, and this isn't, that's not even a modern thing either. Real quick, let me ask you this. Do you think that if, like, to get to the point where you have, like, interstellar travel, I mean, do you think to, for any civilization, human or alien, that some degree of curiosity uh, has to, uh, has to form to get to, like, the technological success um, to be able to do things like time travel or just become a major civilization? Like, do you think curiosity well, it has inherently it has, has to, to be, be a part of any, like, intelligent, superior alien race or whatever? Well, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on the time scale, right? Because at least in our perspective, if humans weren't curious about things and you didn't have individuals who were trying to invent stuff, like, the last 500 years, if you look at the last 500 years, maybe we're only 50 years of that technological progress today you know what i mean where instead of from 1550 to 1600 maybe we're only 1501 technology if you think of it in a linear time scale like that mm-hmm. um but when you talk about the i mean if you talk about the time uh associated with things like the universe or the galaxy then well what if you had an alien civilization that was only uh, a thousand uh like one one thousandth as curious and and uh i guess experimental as humans are uh, with inventing stuff well if you give them a million years they'll be you know many multiple times as far as us so i guess with the time thing it doesn't really matter yeah. do you i think, mean if, I, if one I in a million part of it, people what oh go on i was just gonna say i think part of it is just like the specialization of labor like as you know like any race especially humans uh as we kind of develop cities and technology and we're able to feed more people with less work it just, it's kind of, it, do you, like, I guess to some degree, it's just inevitable that people don't really have to work and spend all their time making food. So from there, yeah. like the specialization of labor where you get like some caveman that just starts banging rocks together and then starts making beautiful art or whatever, you know, like the handprints on cave walls, like somebody yeah. didn't have to go make food or raise babies. They had the free time to just start coloring handprints on walls and drawing like a, uh, saber-toothed tigers or whatever deer on the hunt you know things like that like the specialization of labor i guess in some degree makes it inevitable that you got to spend your time doing something so i mean even like even just like the kid like being bored and just taking rocks and piling them up and then someone who like maybe as a government official who doesn't really have to do anything hard working uh you know just says hey you know what let's just make a really big mountain like my kid made but like we'll make a giant pyramid that's visible from space or whatever i think to some degree maybe yeah so i mean i maybe it's not uh, a uh, controversial thing to say that like alien any developed uh species certainly one capable of um um, space travel would have some degree of curiosity what about humor well i mean do you think humor would be do you think humor is uh 
in a well, similar no, well, way to, to answer your first couple dozen questions okay. <laughs> I, I would say that you have to like first off before even division of labor you have to remove yourself from the active food chain right if you look back at australopithecus if we hadn't invented things like fire and and simple tool use right you just have a bunch of australopithecus running around today in africa you know still subject to being mauled and eaten by cheetahs lions hyenas snakes and everything you know what yeah I mean? that's true you do so, have to remove yourself from the food chain yeah, and, and granted, you know, there was a long way between Australopithecus and, and modern humans obviously being completely removed from the food chain, except when we're, you know, being stupid, right? I mean, today, you have almost virtually nobody who, in, in modern society, that's really, you know, subject to, uh, I guess, uh, the wild, we could say, unless you're walking through hippo territory, you know what yeah. I mean? Real quick, I do um, have I mean, a comment still... on that. Um, I read this book about animals, and it was talking about hyenas. And actually, when uh, I guess before Australopithecus, but the uh, the uh, species uh, proto humans before even that, when we first started coming out of the kind of forest land of Africa and then becoming mm -hmm. bipedal and being kind of creatures of the plains and whatnot, um, that actually we were kind of infringing upon the territorial disputes of hyenas and lions. And that actually one of the major reasons why there's not a great fossil record of proto-humans is because so many proto-humans were likely eaten by lions and hyenas because we we're basically competing with them for kind of like a territory. And that uh, like hyenas have super acidic stomachs and, you know, kind of are scavengers. They eat and, bone. Yeah, they'll eat bone and uh, there's no more uh, proof of, uh, of a human existing if a hyena ate it. Just kind of an interesting side note. Well, yeah, um, it's hard to fossilize things anyway. That's one of the er the early complaints against evolution was where are all the intermediate fossils? But then, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that with things like punctuated equilibrium and evolution, where you have an animal that forms and it's relatively modern, ev modernly evolved, and then it, it it's it's a champion in its own environment and doesn't have to change for maybe hundreds of thousands or even millions of years. And then all of a sudden, the climate changes or a new predator comes in, and then they have to change very rapidly or all die out. So the idea is that you're not going to get a lot of... You're, the point is you're going to have to look really hard to find intermediate fossils anyway because you have so, long so stretches of... Well, yeah. Well, it's because like animal, like let's say for example, you have an animal that has no fur, right? And then a mini ice age or an actual ice age occurs over like a couple hundred years. Well, if that animal doesn't drastically change to have a warmer body with fur, some kind of you know similar adaptation, well, they're all going to die out. So the idea is that you have an animal that goes for hundreds of thousands of years with almost no change. Then there's an ice age, so it has to change in a couple of generations or they're all going to die out anyway, right? So the idea that you're going to find a fossil of maybe, and I mean, it depends on how, how fast the generations are, right? So if you, even if you take something like a lion, you know, they might go four or five years before they start having babies, right? And they're sexually mature. Right. So how many generations is 100 years? Well, if you have only 100 years and then, you know, I don't know, 20 generations that has a large degree of evolutionary change with whatever you're looking for, then the idea that you're going to find a fossil in a hundred year time span when you're looking in a large area deposit of dirt that's maybe spans a million years is, is slim to none if you think about it. Yeah. Um, Richard Dawkins has a great book. I believe it's called The Greatest Show on Earth, where it's all about evolution and stories like mm -hmm. this. But he makes the point too that like, first off, fossils are super hard to form. Like, 
a, a creature has to die, and it's basically a fluke that the creature dies at a time, in a place, in certain conditions at which mm-hmm. its body won't just kind of disintegrate, be eaten, um, have bacteria. And, like, for instance, we have mummies, but only because so much care is taken to embalm the body to keep mummies yeah. alive. And you get certain instances where, like, proto-humans will die in a glacier and the ice keeps them frozen or whatever and protected mm-hmm. from that kind of breakdown. Um, but it's very, very rare in certain um, um, geographical locations and climate types are more susceptible to leaving fossils than others. But his whole point was that it's super rare for a fossil to form and that actually when people say things like, oh, where's the intermediate fossils? You like every spe- every individual creature to some degree is an intermediate species because yeah. there's always evolutionary change. To the point that, like, the idea of evolution is actually um, helped because there is a lack of fossils. Because if you had a fossil of every every creature that ever lived just sitting in the ground ready to be dug up, it would be impossible to figure out where species begins and where they don't. Because yeah, true. Because to some degree, at a certain point, you would have to have a cutoff line. Well, this baby is a different species than its parent. You know, the cutoff has mm-hmm. to be somewhere over a uh, significant period of time where they've changed enough that you can't really call this lion the same species as whatever, like the you know proto lion species was or whatever. Just kind of. Well, an that's a funny idea. thing too. That's a funny thing in the fossil record. You do have uh, biologists who argue tooth and nail about yeah, whether right. a, a certain bigger individual is a different species. And if you think about like, it's funny too, if you think about like, if you put Danny DeVito and like Michael Jordan next to each other and had their right. skeleton fossilized, like you would probably think they might be a different species. <laughs> yeah, you know right. I mean? <laughs> Especially if you had pictures. Like here's here are two, here's pictures of two creatures. Do you think these yeah. are the same species? <laughs> it yeah. might be debatable. <laughs> well, and if they lived at the same time, you'd be like, oh wow, these two species look the same, and they must have fought over like ground and and fought over territory. But no, they're just the far extremes of one species. You know. Right. Um, I guess we've gotten a little away from conspiracy theories, but it's an interesting conversation. Um, I guess yeah. we can take it back. I do want to talk about uh, Momo real quick because we were talking about our love for cryptozoology. Uh, Momo is short for Missouri monster, and it's kind of like a Bigfoot creature in uh, Missouri. It's kind of interesting that uh, Missouri as a state kind of has some claim to fame. Um, but uh, I know, for instance, when I was a kid, I read every book about cryptids, they call them, in the library, and that... Um, I remember just I loved reading articles of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster sightings and especially Bigfoot because there's a lot of campers out in like the Northwest that claim to have like there was this one story I remember very vividly. This guy went camping in the woods of the Northwest and he claimed he was like basically held hostage by Bigfoot for like a whole weekend where there was like a whole horde of Bigfoot like throwing rocks at this cabin him and his family were staying in and they were screaming all night and stuff at him and throwing rocks and stuff. And like I just remember vividly reading that and like having these like I I don't know if I ever had a nightmare about it, but I remember like when I was 10 years old and reading those books and kind of getting spooked out. And I remember, like, playing outside and stuff and, like, looking over my shoulder. Because some of the, you know, all the books were filled with eyewitness accounts and stuff and alleged stories of, like, even relatively, like, suburban areas where, like, Bigfoot comes and kind of, like, creeps people out. And I remember, like, playing outside and always, like, looking over my shoulder for a couple days after each of those books I'd read. Um, Another good one is The Jersey Devil. 
Um, and Mothman, uh, the Jersey Devil was basically like goat footsteps. Like it snowed one time in New Jersey, and all these people were claiming they saw these like goat uh, snow prints, um, and that like there were all these sightings of this like creature flying with like red yeah, it looked eyes. like a park goat with a horse yeah. head and like d- devil wings or demon right. wings. <laughs> and it was I remember it was like just that one snowstorm. It was like just a weekend where they kind of sighted this, and then it went away. And that's kind of the same thing with the Mothman. I forget what town, but there was a town. It was in the... It's uh, Point Pleasant, uh, Pennsylvania, actually. Right, yeah, New England. And there's actually a Richard Gere no, movie. No, Pennsylvania, not New England. <laughs> no, it's, New England, the region, like... though. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. But I remember the movie. Do you, did you see that? The Mothman Prophecies, it was called? Yeah, like Richard yeah. Gere. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there were all these sightings, and then it like kind of like a bridge collapsed, and then no one ever saw it again. And it was just kind of an interesting happenstance. The movie kind of plays up the drama of it being related to that bridge. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably some artistic liberties (laughs) taken from the movie. Um, But yeah, I did From what reality? Yeah, right. (laughs) Artistic (laughs) reality. Right. Um, So what are some other conspiracy theories that you like? I feel like we've covered uh, cryptozoology and aliens a little bit. Um, Maybe we can get into some of the more mainstream conspiracy theories that maybe affect our politics. Obviously, I guess a big one is coronavirus. Um, there's mm-hmm. and uh, there's a new conspiracy theory right now that Bill Gates is trying to like personally <laughs> uh, get like infect everybody with diseases or control their genetics or something. There's all these conspiracy theories about Bill Gates. Uh, Bill well, yeah, Gates, they they claim that he killed. He's responsible for the death of like 15 million people in India or something with his vaccines, which is kind of ludicrous to think that Bill Gates, who runs who quit his job at Microsoft to full-time run a charity that is trying to eradicate diseases. And instead, they, they it's almost like the, the George Soros level of, you know, utter nonsense where you're, you're saying that this guy whose family was killed in the Holocaust and is an actual Jew is somehow in league with Nazis or something and trying to, I mean, it's ludicrous, right? The idea that Bill Gates is personally trying to make sure people die in poor parts of the country or the world uh, is just nonsense, you know? Yeah, there's so much misinformation about diseases and vaccines. I have tons of friends on Facebook who post all kinds of dumb vaccine stuff. And it's just kind of absurd. The, I mean, the idea that like, you know, the people who invented like vaccines for measles and polio and stuff like back in the day, and it literally saved millions of lives. I mean, like Mitch McConnell got polio as a kid. Like it's not that long ago that polio was affecting uh, tons and tons of people and was a constant fear that people would get polio. Um, hmm. But now the idea that you have all these vaccines and now they're putting extra chemicals in is just kind of a weird idea. Well, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that if you go back 100 years ago and told people what, what 2020 was like and how that we have these things that stop diseases, but people don't want to take them, they'd think <laughs> yeah. you're crazy. I read it. There's an interesting statistic that uh, um, smallpox in the the uh, in the 20th century alone killed 500 million people in the 20th century and that's something we've eradicated and you know what happens if it comes back because people don't vaccinate their kids it's 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 ludicrous right think of that uh between like 1900 and 1985 or whatever it was finally eradicated it killed 500 million people worldwide that's like more than all of the wars probably combined i would think right World War II was like 50 million, million yeah, people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
So the idea that somehow that vaccine is bad for people in America is, 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 is asinine. It's nonsense. Yep, that's a very interesting thought. Well, uh, that's 40 minutes. I think that's a good uh, stopping place. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Brain Mills Podcast. Once again, I'm Dash McIntyre. And I'm Adrian Pope. And uh, enjoy the guitar solo.